Thank you, Bella, for reading for us. And again, make sure you've got Psalm 32 there in front of you. We'll be spending most of our time in Psalm 32. Uh, and let me pray again uh, as we come to this part of God's Word. Well, Father, help us now uh, to listen. Help us to have our eyes fixed on your Word. Help us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, your Son, that we might live in a way that pleases you, that is best for us and most glorifying to your name. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, uh, today you're going to learn some things about me, things that might make you think slightly differently about me. It's a bit shameful. Uh, I'm going to share a story from my primary school days. And uh, in those days, growing up as a primary school kid, uh, I had a bit of a bad habit of stealing things. And the problem was I was, I was pretty good at it. I, was, I, I got too many stories, which is not great. But it didn't help. I was good at it. I got away with it pretty much all the time. Uh, when I was in the third grade, I was about eight years or so, eight, year, eight years old or so. Uh, I was in the third grade. I was sitting uh, in the classroom, and we we're enjoying a math game as a class. It was the very end of the day, and my teacher borrowed a watch from one of the other kids in the class uh, for this math game to time, you know, timetables. How quick can you do them, and so on. And uh, the watch that she borrowed was a Casio calculator watch. And uh, if you grew up in the 90s, they were the bomb. Like, they, they were all the rage. I coveted one as a kid. I loved them. I thought, they're so cool. No chance my parents were ever going to buy me one. They were too expensive. Uh, a whole calculator on your wrist, right? Pretty cool. Uh, so they, 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 they were, uh, there we were in this class playing this game at the end of the day. And after the bell rang, uh, the teacher placed that watch on her seat. So she had a seat at the front of the class, and she placed the watch on the seat and then you know, went back to her desk, and kids were leaving the class and so on. And as I saw her place that watch on the chair, my mind devised a plan. So I packed all my stuff into my school bag, except for my pencil case, and I left my pencil case completely unzipped, and I walked out past the front uh, part of the class where the chair was, and I pretended to drop my pencil case, and my pencils and pens scattered all over the floor next to the chair. So I got that on my knees, and started to put my pens and pencils back in the pencil case, quickly grabbed the watch, put it in my pencil case, put it in my bag, walked out, nobody saw, nobody knew, got away with it. I told that story about 10 years ago at another church, and at morning tea, everybody was holding onto their watches. <laughs> uh, sadly, it's not the end of the story, because what I did in all my eight-year-old wisdom is I wore that exact same watch to school the very next day. <laughs> and you can guess what happened, right? The kid who had lost his watch saw his watch on my wrist, and, uh, and I wouldn't confess. I wouldn't, I wouldn't admit that I took it. I insisted, no, it's mine. I said it to my teacher. I said it to the principal. Uh, you're learning a lot about me. I had some dirt on my sister, my older sister, so I said to her, you, you need to tell the principal that it's mine. So she told the principal it was mine. Uh, if ever you want to be convinced that humans are born sinful from the youngest age, come talk to me about my childhood. Uh, but I just I didn't want to confess that I stole the watch. Because I knew if I did, I'd be in big trouble. There'd be big consequences, not only from school and the principal, but also from my parents. Uh, these were the days before politically correct parenting. I would be in big trouble. Uh, but as much as I refused to confess, fearing those consequences, it was just, it was obvious. Like, the watch had scratches on it. It was obvious. It was his. Uh, he knew. Uh, eventually, I just had to give it back. I got in big trouble from school and my parents. But I tell you that story, not so that at morning tea you can hold on to your watches or whatever else, uh, but because we, we can all be like that. Maybe not to the extreme of my kind of childhood wrong ways, but we can all be like that. 
All of us, in small ways and big ways, we can fail to confess wrongdoing. We can keep silent because we, we fear the consequences. Because we know from experience, when you confess wrongdoing, there's punishment. Consequences follow. We, we know that's what happens. That, that's how the, the, the land of the law, the law of the land works. It's why, uh, miraculously, whenever I ask each of my four kids who saw that last biscuit, uh, none of them will confess. They'll just all remain silent because they obviously take after their mother. Uh, <laughs> but we remain silent because we fear. And that's what uh, Psalm 32, that's why Psalm 32 is such a special psalm. Because this psalm teaches us that the one who confesses is blessed and is joyful and is forgiven. And so with that self-incriminating introduction, let's look at this wonderful psalm. It's a psalm of David, of King David. And like two weeks ago, if you remember Psalm 30, we don't know exactly the situation David was in when he wrote this psalm. And we don't know what event took place that caused David to write this psalm. But in Psalm 32, what King David is doing, he's reflecting on this time when he was silent before God. And this is point one there, if you've got your, your outline there, David's silence. Look from verse 3. Again, please make sure you've got your Bible there. Look at verse 3. So Psalm 32, verse 3, David writes, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And we know from the rest of the psalm that David was silent before God about his sin. And, and he's, he's writing this as someone who belongs to God. So we've got to get the kind of context of the psalm right. This isn't a picture of someone who does not know God and just doesn't care about sin. This is someone who knows God, who, who in a sense claims to follow God and yet is silent before God about some sin. And again, we don't know exactly what that sin is. Uh, traditionally, some people think that, that it's uh, David's sin of, of adultery with Bathsheba, if you remember that uh, from uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, and then remember how that led to the, the, the murder then of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Uh, but it could just as well be that David had some ongoing sin in his life, had this way of living that he knew wasn't godly, that he knew was ungodly, and yet he didn't want to change. And so he, he kept silent before God about it. But notice what the silent meant for David. Look again at verse 3 and 4. Look at 3 and 4. Because of his silence, his bones became brittle from his groaning. And because of his silence, God's hand was heavy upon him and his strength was drained. And so this, this kind of stance of silence before God just brings misery. It, it brings anguish. And we're not told what that looked like for David. It could be that the, the misery or anguish was some sort of physical illness. Uh, we're not told. Or it could be just a mental weight of guilt because he knows he's done the wrong thing. He knows he's sitting before God and he doesn't want to bring it to God. And so there's this guilt that keeps holding uh, above him. Uh, we don't know for sure. But either way, the silence before God brings misery. And worse than that, it brings the hand of God against him because he's silent before God. And that's the first thing we need to learn from this psalm. To be silent before God as followers of God is foolish. And it's foolish for two reasons. For one, think of Adam in the garden. You see, Adam before God in the garden was foolish. 
Just stop and think about it for a second. Adam was in the garden, and he knew that God was the creator of all things. Adam saw God create Eve from the side of his rib. And after Adam had sinned, and after Eve ate, and after Adam ate, what did Adam and Eve do in all their wisdom? Do you remember what they did? They knew they were in trouble. They knew they had eaten from the tree when they shouldn't have. They knew they'd done the wrong thing. So what did they do? They hid, which is silly. You just imagine it. Hey, 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 Eve, I've got, I've got a great idea. Surely the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful creator of all things will never find out about our sin. He'll never find out we ate the fruit. He's a really good idea. Let's hide in his garden because he'll never be able to find us in his garden. It's foolish. It, it's the child that says to their parents, no, I didn't take the last chocolate, and there's chocolate all over their mouth. It's foolish. And we can laugh and we can mock, but that, that is what it means to be silent before God. To be silent about our sin before God. He knows. And for two, it's foolish because then the guilt stays with you. I, I do think I lean towards uh, the, the anguish that David feels in this psalm being uh, connected to his guilt because of his sin. Uh, connected to his guilt because of his silence before God. And I think we can all relate to that. You know that thing we did? Uh, the thing we said? The trouble it caused because we did or said such thing? And yet nobody really knows the, play, the, 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 uh, the part that we played in it. But we know. And so you feel the guilt. And that guilt niggles away at you to the point where you kind of feel physically ill because you know you've done it. No one else knows, but you know the trouble it caused. And in this psalm, that guilt of that sin is against God. So let me ask us, let me ask you, how are you going at confessing your sin to God? How are you going at confessing all your sins to God? Even the ones that you don't want to. Because he knows it all. Have you been silent? Have, have you been hiding foolishly? And if so, if you're silent before God, and you know, but you're silent, you don't want to bring it to him, why? Why? Sometimes it's because we, we love that temptation, or we love that desire, or we love that thing so much that we don't want to bring it to God in confession. And so we say nothing. We love it so much, and so we try to hide it from God, and we kind of compartmentalize it away, somehow thinking, well, God won't know, or he won't find out, or God won't really care, or he won't really be upset, and so I'm not going to bring it to him. Or maybe we're, we're afraid to confess to God. We, we might fear what would happen next, because our human experience tells us when you confess, then there's punishment. Or perhaps you're silent because you don't believe your sin is all that bad which sadly is most of our world, right? They, they don't confess stuff to God because they don't think it's bad. They don't think it's sin. One of the greatest tricks the devil plays is making the world believe that sin does not matter, but it matters hugely. But this psalm, it teaches us that those ways of thinking, they're, they're foolish, not, because, not, not only because God is all-knowing and all-seeing and all-powerful and his hand will be heavy upon the sinner, but because the God of the Scriptures is the all-loving, all-forgiving God. See, look, have a look at what David does next in the psalm. And this is point two now, David's acknowledgement. Look in verse five. So again, you've got to imagine it here. Imagine 
uh, David in the midst of his groaning, he's been silent. He's groaning, he's, he's under the hand of God. Uh, he's under the heavy hand of God. And in verse 5, verse 5, then, David says, then, in that moment, I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said I would confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. And at this point, we, we really need to learn to marvel at how incredible that is. Because whatever it is that David did, whatever it is that he kept from God, whatever that it is that kept him up at night and filled him with guilt so much so that he felt physically ill, the moment he confesses, in that moment as he brings it to God in confession, the guilt's taken away. We've got to learn to marvel at this. Because this is backwards to what we're used to, right? Backwards to how our world usually works. Because you confess, you get busted. Uh, when I acknowledged my sin and did not conceal the fact that I still had kids watch, I got busted. Punishment followed. But in the psalm, you bring the deepest of sins to God and it brings forgiveness. We've got to learn to marvel at that more because it's wonderful. Confession brings forgiveness. And you can see why, why David says what he says next, uh, what he says at the beginning of the psalm, sorry. Look, look at verse 1 and 2. Look at how it kicks off. They're wonderful words. Verse 1, David says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin. See, if we, if we don't marvel... It's because we don't understand that what David deserved was punishment. And we don't understand that what we all deserve is, is actually punishment. And if we don't marvel, it's, it's because we, we haven't quite grasped yet that God is he's actually pleased with us when we acknowledge our sins to him. If you're a parent, you understand this. You'd much rather your kids come and tell you. And then you're pleased with them. There might still be you know, disciplinary consequences and so on, but you're pleased with them that they tell you rather than you finding out. See, God is pleased when we come to him. No matter how wretched your sin might be or how fickle your sin might be, it could be that the deepest, darkest of secrets that you know and nobody else knows, but you bring it to God. Or it could be just that word said in haste. Either way, God is pleased. And you can tell in this psalm that David marveled because look at what he does next. He invites us to do like him. Look at verse 6. So David, he comes to his senses, he acknowledges his sin, and then he says, verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you, pray to you, God, at a time that you may be found. In other words, David is saying, given that God is the God who forgives, pray to him. Know him, know his character, he forgives, so pray to him. Speak to him. And now, now is that time of forgiveness. It won't, it won't be around forever. The day that Jesus returns, that day of forgiveness is over. Now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time to seek God in your sin. And, and you've seen the alternative, right? The alternative is silence. And silence brings guilt. It brings misery. So as lovely a psalm this is, it, it's, it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's, it's, a, it's a very simple psalm. Acknowledge your sin. Pray to God. Tell him with the affection of a child to her mother all your grievances, all your worries, all your wrongdoings that are in your heart and find forgiveness, find joy. That's what it looks like to confess. 
Sometimes getting to the point when you're, where you're ready to confess to God can be hard because sin is, is powerful and you, you, you want it, and so you don't want to bring it to God. It can be hard to get to that point where you want to confess, but once you're ready to confess, it's so easy. You talk to God. You, you share with God. You acknowledge the thing, the struggle, the actions, the words, the thought to God, and you say, sorry, God that I did, said, thought, this, that, or whatever other thing. It's really easy. You don't need a priest. You don't need to tell me. Uh, You don't need a confession booth. You don't need a special set of words to say beforehand. You don't need a church to come into to kneel in. You don't need a special necklace to wear around your neck. You don't need a prop with Jesus on a cross to pray in front of. It's very easy. Just talk to God. Talk to him like David did in this psalm. Acknowledge your sin to him. And even more so for us, knowing that Jesus died and rose again, to make it even easier for us to bring our sins to God. And then look at the blessing that comes as the faithful pray and confess. This is point three. And we won't have time to look at this in detail, but look at verses six and seven. See, in verse six and seven, the faithful are assured of refuge and protection. And deliverance. And verse 8, for the faithful who pray and don't remain silent, well, God will instruct them on, on the way to go. It's such a lovely promise. He, he, you confess your sin, you, you tell God how much it sucks and how much you struggle with it, and then God is pleased to counsel you away from that sin. He, he's pleased to help you to not desire that sin anymore. Sometimes confession starts with, God, I want to do this. I don't even want to tell you about it. But please change my desires because I want to do it and I want to keep doing it. But please change my desires. That's, that's how confession sometimes begins. And God does that. And verse 10, the one who trusts in the Lord, well, the Lord will have faithful love surrounding that person. So this psalm, it's, it's a no-brainer. David is putting two ways of living before us. The way of silence, misery, guilt, heavy hand of God. The way of confession and joy and forgiveness. And the promise of blessing. It's a no-brainer. And so I want to finish with a reflection for us today. And my main question for us is this, and it's part of what Sarah did for us in the kids spot, actually. It's do we share David's joy in this psalm? You know, do we have the big grins on our face when we remember what's happened? That's the main thing this psalm is teaching us. It's teaching us the joy of forgiveness, that the great happiness it brings and so just think to ourselves this morning do we share that joy do do we have a christian joy knowing what god has forgiven us of and i suspect if you're anything like me your answer might be well sometimes uh, a little maybe maybe not as much as i should maybe i should have a lot more joy or maybe for you, it's, it's just a resounding yes. And if so, praise God. Or maybe for you, it could be a cold no. I, I have no joy. I don't have joy in, in forgiveness, joy in the Christian faith. See, one of the things we must do if we're to grow in this kind of joy in this psalm is just to remember what it means to be unforgiven. Uh, I carried out a very dangerous exercise as I wrote this sermon. Uh, I spent about 10 minutes sitting down uh, at my desk thinking through the ways in which this week, just this week alone, 
where I failed to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and where I failed to love others as myself. Uh, and I wrote it down for 10 minutes, just thinking through different things. So I thought about those moments of uh, selfishness, thought about those times where I yelled at the kids a little bit too easily. Sorry, Sebastian, he's looking at me. Uh, I thought about the unkind words I spoke, let alone the words I thought. I thought about my laziness in not being the sacrificial husband to my wife that I need to be. I thought about the moments of complaint where I was quick to complain, where I didn't really have a right to complain. The lack of times that I thanked God for his goodness. The prayers that went unprayed. The praise that went unsung. The coveting of my eyes, the lusting of my heart. The greed in what God has given me. The grumpy moments, the angry moments, the frustrated moments. And with many of those things, it's not just like, you know, once, I did that once in the last week, but many moments. And all that just in one week. Actually, if I'm honest, I wrote this part of the sermon on Thursday, so I had the rest of the week to keep on sinning. And I just spent 10 minutes to come up with that list. Imagine if I spent an hour or a day. And as I you know, wrote this list and read over it, and as I thought of those moments, and as I think of how God created me to love him and to love others, the only conclusion I can come to is, what a wretched man I am. It's what, it's what Paul said in Romans 7. You know, the things I want to do, I do not do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. What an expert sinner I am. And I don't mean to be bold on a Sunday morning, but with all confidence, I can say that if you two spent 10 minutes thinking through your week, listing down those things which you have done, which you ought not to have done, or those things that you ought to have done that you did not do, you would conclude about yourself, what a wretched person I am. It's actually a very helpful exercise to do. Um, I can just encourage you to do it. Uh, sometime today, sometime this week, Set aside 10 minutes and write down the things you can think of where you haven't loved God and haven't loved others. And then in that moment, just imagine a lifetime worth of it. You see, to be unforgiven before God is to bear the guilt of all that sin. To, to be unforgiven before God is to face the eternal punishment for all that sin that is yours. And that, that thought, if you imagine bearing the weight of all that sin, it, it's like verse 4. It's having the hand of God upon you day and night with his wrath rightly upon you because of sin. That should be unbearable. Uh, again, verse 4, it gives this imagery of having your strength completely drained as in the summer's heat. 40 degrees today, supposedly. Go stand in the sun for an hour with no water, no sunscreen. And just imagine that for an eternity. That's the picture. It's unbearable. And yet... God is willing to forgive it all. And he's more than willing. He's able to forgive it all. And more than that, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then he has forgiven it all. You write down that 10 minutes worth of stuff, imagine a lifetime, and then what do you say? What a wretched man I am. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And be joyous. 
again, I think Sarah's illustration was, was great, you know, with the shredder, that kind of idea of seeing your sin taken away. Uh, there's another common one you might have heard before. It's, it's the Excel spreadsheet. So imagine an Excel spreadsheet, uh, and it's got a record of every single one of your sins that you commit in your life. And don't worry, Microsoft Excel, it can hold up to 1 million rows and 16,000 columns. So there'll be, there'll be room for your sins. Don't worry. And on the cross, for those who trust in Jesus, it, it's like Jesus clicking select all, delete. That's the imagery. All our sin wiped away. Paid for. Joy. See, marvel of that. Marvel. We, we can have great joy because in Jesus, God has removed that guilt and that sin. Marvel. And we need to recapture this a bit. I think the old hymn writers got this so well. They, they, it was in all their hymns. Here's a couple. Here's Amazing Grace. You know it well. But just understand the words. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Do you think of yourself as a wretch? That's what we are without Jesus, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Or another great uh, hymn, How Great Thy Art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him, his son, to die, I scarce can take it in that on that cross, my burden, and again, look at the words there, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And the great old Charles Wesley hymn, they're great old hymns. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died for us who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? See, brothers and sisters, do not be silent before your God. Confess your sin. Acknowledge your sin and remember that Jesus bled and died for your sin. And in that, find joy. Find forgiveness. And why not during this week, sing with David. Come back to Psalm 32. Look at verse 1 and 2 and sing with him. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, how joyful is the one the Lord does not charge with sin. Let me pray and thank our God. Well, Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that if we're honest, if there is no deceit found in us, that we know our sin is ever present before us. We know that our sin is a list so long that we couldn't keep track. We know that our sin deserves punishment. And yet, in sending Jesus, your son, you are pleased to forgive us. Help us, Lord, to be people who confess, who acknowledge, who bring all our sin before you, and who then find that joy of forgiveness. And Father, we pray that you might help our desires to change so that we might become more like Jesus, your son. To the praise of your name, we ask. Amen.